massive dog tooth tuna. This guy, he goes after him. Today's episode, Jamie Rives coming hot from Vanuatu. Well, it's so hot, in fact, that it cost me, I think, more than $150 to record this interview due to the international calling rates. We couldn't get the internet. But um, you got to check out this guy's uh, YouTube channel. It is absolutely going off. It's insane. Um, at Deeply Immersed on Instagram, uh, I'm unsure what his YouTube channel is called. It might be just Jamie Rives. He was uh, a former Norfolk Islander, so sometimes that name is in his handle but anyway go to his instagram at deeply immersed and check out his youtube channel it takes this guy days to upload these videos but they're absolutely jaw-dropping and that will give you some perspective on today's interview absolute frothing dude really cool chat um i got an unusual shout out today uh, I don't normally do birthday shout outs but today I have to it's a shout out to Nikki G from Graham so it's his birthday today on the release of this interview. So happy birthday, Nikki G. Thanks for listening to the podcast, buddy. And um, there might be something in store for you coming around just around the corner, care of Graham. But anyway, um, let's get into this interview with Jamie Rives. Here we go. I can't wait to get into today's episode brought to you with proud partner adreno.com.au. The Noobsphere podcast has been partnering with adreno.com.au for more than 100 episodes and these guys are awesome. They have a huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country. You can shop online or in store. Use the code Noobsphere whenever you spend more than $200 and you will automatically save $20. That's right. Use the code Noobsphere online or in store when you spend more than $200 and save $20. Bucks. I love these guys. I remember the first time I brought a spear gun at adreno.com.au down at the Wollongabba store and Adreno have been a huge part of the excitement that I have about spearfishing. Check them out at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpero to save. Neptonics was founded in 1996, making trigger mechs in a barn in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Solid gear that works was their founding principle and it still rings true today in every pull of a Neptonics trigger, in every snap of a Neptonics band, and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. But a great deal, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. Save 10% off any order at Neptonics.com when you use the code NOOB10. All right, g'day Noobers, welcome to the podcast and welcome back if you're uh, here again and you've managed to join me for a, for another episode. Today it's, uh, we're off to Vanuatu to chat with Jamie who, who I, him and I have kind of been connected, you know, as you do over the internet for years. You were in Norfolk, Jamie, the first time I think you reached out to me and you actually had an open invite for me to come over and dive with you if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, on Norfolk, uh, I was pretty much just living like that with my diving. If anyone was ever interested in coming over to Norfolk, I was always happy to take them out. And it was a good thing for me because I got to do, go diving with a lot of divers from all different backgrounds and different levels and different mindsets. So yeah. it was a good good learning experience for me, like uh, meeting different people and learning bits and pieces from them and uh, progressing my diving that way. Mm. Also learning a bit of patience now and then. <laughs> yeah, people always put you to the test, don't they, buddy? Oh yeah, often more often than not. Mate, you're a bit of a you're a bit of a talented dude. Like as usual with Spiro, is very understated and very uh, probably like you know you're not a, a showy type person, but you live the life 100. percent Now you're living in Vanuatu. 
and I'm, I was just watching uh, one of your videos before. So if people go to NF Islander on YouTube. I'm watching Spearfishing Vanuatu episode three, targeting dogtooth. Mate, some of this footage is some of the best I've ever seen. What are you filming on? Uh, most of that uh, episode is all on the GoPro 7 black. Yeah. Are you filming it in 4K or is that um, 2.7? No, unfortunately, uh, I'm not financially able to get an updated uh, MacBook that can handle that stuff, so it's all just 1080. Oh, wow. It's freaking magic then. The water clarity must be unreal there. Yeah, most of the year over here, it's like gin clear. At this time of year, we get a lot of plankton and stuff in the water, and the viz goes down to about 15 metres on a bad day, and I feel a little bit put out by that now. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) miserable. Did, did, did you guys did you guys get impacted by that uh, Tongan uh, eruption? Uh, not really. Just a little bit of weird tide movement and a bit of surge, but not not really much uh, around Port Vila. I'm wondering what it'll, it'll do to sort of the ocean and the surrounding habitats because some of those currents you must share some current with uh, Tonga. Uh, yeah, Tonga and Fiji, but the the currents over here like. Um, mystery honestly the last three years I've been trying to study them <laughs> I've been trying to work out the moon phases and I even though I do have some uh, quite a lot of spots pretty dialed now at different times of year they just like if the current changes a little bit direction it will hit different shelves different islands and it'll just totally change a spot like one time one like three quarters of the year you'll be diving a spot on low tide change and you'll have it all worked out and then you go the following week and the tide's totally different for the whole day, regardless of changes. So right, it's on. a bit of a challenge. So where'd you grow up? Uh, I was born on Norfolk Island and I lived there most of my life. I did a bit of world travel and stuff after I finished my qualification as a chef. Yeah. And um, then the rest of the time I've been mainly based on Norfolk, but <clears throat> for the last uh, probably six to eight years I've been coming and going to Vanuatu and from Vanuatu with my uh, now wife, who's from West Umbai in Vanuatu. Ah. And, uh, and uh, three years ago, my wife and our daughter and I moved to Vanuatu full-time and I've been living here full-time since then. Yeah. Mate, you've got a beautiful family and, like, looking at all the images I see on Instagram just following along on your journey, like, it's a sensational life you lead. I'm sure it's not, like, a super glamorous or anything like that, but, like, just in terms of, like, how in touch you are with, you know, the ocean and getting out and getting amongst it and, like, you know, just living, you know, like a Vanuatuan, I guess. Like, it, it seems pretty special. Yeah, um, as you know, social media can paint a whole lot of pictures to different people depending on what you're putting out there and what pe- how people are perceiving it. But, uh, yeah, totally, like, uh, growing up on Norfolk Island, I've always had, like, a deep appreciation for the natural life and the ocean and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, and in Vanuatu, I'm, I pretty much got all the same same things that I had on Norfolk, but a bunch of other things that uh, tropical places that are full of different islands and reef systems and stuff like that offer. So it's yeah. a bit of a playground and I'm pretty spoiled. But yeah. um, are, you yeah, still, it's, are you still chefing? Uh, well, I was working here full time as a chef till COVID started, but since all the planes shut down, it's totally... Uh, totally killed all of the restaurant industry and stuff here and as a qualified uh, expat well I'm a a citizen here now but 
as a qualified expat, it's pretty much impossible to get work in the industry over here now for the last over two years. So uh, once my, once my work finished and we didn't have any income, I paid for a fishing license, registered the, my little um, paid for a business life as license for the Sheffield islands. And I've been using my diving to support us. Uh, I've been diving and selling fish and, uh, that's been keeping us afloat, but you wouldn't think so in a place like Vanuatu, you probably imagine that the cost of living here is pretty cheap, but if you live in town here and you've got a kid in school, uh, it's actually really, really expensive to live here and paying licenses and everything else. It's, it was pretty tight. So, uh, yeah. Last year, my wife and daughter and I moved to Umbai Island and we lived there for six months uh, just to get get away from town life and live a free life in the island. So we were totally self-sufficient there, just uh, planning, wow. planning all the food that we needed. We took a small solar system and, um, yeah, I just went diving two times a week. We're, we're living up on the side of the volcano, Manaro Volcano, and in the bush. <laughs> and uh, it was about... about <laughs> about a two hour or a three hour walk down to get to the coast and go diving so that's why I was only diving twice a week the rest of the time we were just planning food and uh, pretty much just living with families up there and instead of uh, using my fish for sale I just uh, traded just bartered and traded and um, lived lived without money for six months which was really nice Oh, that's incredible, mate. I'm so I'm so stoked I can get you on the podcast today with decent enough internet to be able to connect. Oh, even even in town, internet drives me crazy a bit over here, but yeah, it's better than nothing. <laughs> you were telling me uh, before we started recording that basically, like, I'm oh, watching this video and it's 15 minutes long, where you're pretty much just teaching people about targeting dog tooth without losing so many fish. I love your, um, the way you go about it, you know, like you're teaching people so that they don't lose so many fish. And obviously that's part of, you know, being a sustainable hunter is making sure that, you know, the fish we intend to take, we have a high success rate on, therefore we impact the fishery a lot less because you're not killing five fish for every one that you land. Hopefully you're improving your odds. So hats off to you with this video. It's excellent quality, but you were telling me while you're uploading it, you, you lost he lost a whole lot of it a few times. Is that right? Oh, so many times. I almost gave up. It literally took me a month when we were in the islands of trying to get it bit by bit before it finally went up. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for that. Yeah, the video that was sort of my intention. Like for me, uh, I grew up rod fishing and climbing down the rocks and doing all that on Norfolk and. Uh, then once I built my first little boat over there, I uh, was rod fishing then, but uh, trying to troll for wahoo and wasting a lot of fuel and seeing them on the surface all the time made me want to start doing some more blue water type diving because before that growing up on Norfolk, I'd sort of only mucked around with a pole spear a bit. But I think about 12, 12 years ago, I started uh, blue water hunting and that was because of wahoo. So I sort of my focus was there at the start. Oh. And um Wahoo, once you get them dialed a little bit, they're pretty easy to land. But uh, targeting reef fish and doing all that type of diving, I got pretty used to pretty much never losing gear. Uh, Most of the time, once you choose your shots and and things like that with all these type of species, you pretty much never lose a fish unless unless the sharks get onto it if you don't kill the fish. But dog tooth, as you would know, they're like a totally different story and 
just uh, actually learning about them and and learning to hunt and shoot them and everything like that, I I realized that they're like a totally different fish to every other fish, uh, more more than what you sort of realize from the media that you see from divers what they post. But um, for me, like when I first started hunting them, I was actually discouraged by my losses, and I actually didn't. I sort of felt like I didn't like hunting dogtooth anymore. Yeah. But I was still really, really determined to try and figure it out. So I was going for headshots a lot at the start, but it's such a narrow window, hit or miss, and they're at full power if you don't so hit them perfectly. So uh, I just sort of took my time and let most of them go until I started to figure it out a little bit. And, and yeah, just pretty much, like I say in the video, that those were the sort of things that I learned from my first full season of really like targeting them properly. And I'm at the moment working on the next episode, which will be a little bit of a story about moving to Umbai and living self-sufficiently there. Yeah. Uh, and then coming back for the blue water season and hunting Dogtooth and Wahoo here again. But that's a whole nother story. I had yeah. a really good season I had a really good season before this last one in the video from before. And this one's been a very big mix of emotions and different things. But yeah, yeah it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like, thing to do. I was watching your video and I looked down and I was like, this bloke's got 1,803 views. Like, it's seriously one of the best videos I've ever seen on Dogtooth. I'm only about eight minutes in, but I'm like, like, sometimes with YouTube, it's such a weird thing sometimes. Like, the actual quality of the content has very little to do with how many views you get, eh? Like, like, cause yeah, like I said, this video is absolutely sick. To me, it deserves 180,000 views and here it is with 1800. I'm like, gee, it's like more people should, you know, I wish more people found it. Yeah. I, I don't really get too involved in the whole views thing. Like I, I just really love diving and uh, like free diving and spearfishing and, I, I started out making videos just because like I loved what I, was, what I was experiencing and I just wanted to share it and put it out there so that people yeah. could see it. So um, well, the same with Instagram. Instagram's sort of been growing a little bit, but I, I just do my thing. Like uh, I didn't ever really look for sponsorship or anything either, but Travis sort of saw my stuff and he yeah. offered me a contract and I've been dealing with Mike from Ocean Hunter with Ruku uh Ruku Blades New Zealand for quite a while and yeah. those things sort of just naturally happened because I think that they liked what I was doing and yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I know that I could do things to to make those like views and everything better and I know that my editing isn't like that good yet because I'm still really learning that but yeah. like I said I just really love doing it I like putting it out there and if some if it reaches some people and they really like it or if some things I've learned help other people learn some things, then that's really my only goal with it. Yeah, I love it. Have you thought about guiding or do you do guiding? Yeah, I just started uh, before COVID shut all the tourism down over here. And uh, since it's been shut down, I've been taking some expats and some other people that have been moving through for work and things like that out on some uh, guided charters. Yeah. And um I've just started to make some media to try and make some pages to start promoting uh, my guided spearfish fishing charters over here. But yeah. that's the plan uh, now that I've moved out of the commercial kitchen and I've been diving commercially for the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm hoping that when planes open up, I'm, I've already got quite a lot of tentative bookings, but obviously nothing can happen until things are actually moving. So, 
What's the rules with coming there right now? We're talking January 2022. This interview probably won't go up till sort of end of March. Um, what what are the rules looking like now with regards to flying into Port Villa? Well, at the moment, the government, I think that Vanuatu is at about 50% vaccination rates and the government was talking about March okay. and then they were talking about June, July. And now oh, so I you're locked that down. Talking about, it's locked down. Yeah, I'm heard, oh. yeah I'm, I'm heard they're talking about August now, so... I'm hoping that they don't push it back any further. If if it's August, then it'll be right in the the start of the good season for everything. So that'd be pretty perfect. But I'm not going to hold my breath. I'll just take it as it comes. What are you sort of if if you did get paying customers over, how many customers would you want at a time? What do you what do you think you sort of best outfitted for? Uh, well, I at the moment <clears throat> I've just got one small boat and another medium boat that I can use. So. Uh, as well as a bigger charter boat. So I, I've, I'm trying to set up for lots of different possibilities, but ideally what I'm targeting to start with is single divers that want to come over and go with someone who knows all the reefs and who's willing to get out into the outer islands, into the spots where it's really wild and uh, pristine and unspoiled and, you, you know, like uh, somewhere where they can really dive with big numbers of big dog tooth and see like wahoo and masses of healthy reef fishes and bait fish on on places that haven't been wrecked yet um but <laughs> it I, sounds but like the medium it sounds like it's just an absolute trip of a lifetime i'm looking for your instagram and i'm like just gonna sign myself up for a week and come over for a scouting mission with you that'd be awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, when it, whenever you want to come over as soon as it opens up you're welcome but yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing here i've done a little bit of travel up into the banks islands i went and saw brett kerr up there at kukaya island and mm. it's another it's another version of the shepherd islands up there like a more remote obviously and pretty amazing but honestly everything that i've seen in the shepherd islands is like on par with everything that's up there it's so pristine and beautiful up there and there's so much fish life and the water's so clean. If yeah. if you learn a little bit about the moon and tides, then you can have some pretty amazing trips up there. But even closer to a Friday, there's a lot of islands and a lot of fish. So, mm. yeah, the medium-sized boat, I can take probably three or four people. And then I've also uh, started teeing up with a bigger sailing catamaran that if I get groups of five or six, then we can do week-long trips on on that as well. If that if that is an option for people, but ideally, I'm I'm really looking at the one and two people at, at a time. Yeah. To start with. All right, I'm going to have to lock one of these trips out. I'm afraid this is uh, this is terrible. <laughs> it's not just <laughs> it's not just dog tooth you get there as well though, Jamie. Like you've got you're getting a phenomenal uh, a range of species. Like I'm I'm looking at um, large ice sea brim. Um, you're getting dolphin fish, wahoo. Um, you've got a number of different emperor species there. You've got huge job fish. Like um, at the moment, what's your kind of one of your favourite species to hunt um, just, just to feed you and the family? Uh, I At home on Norfolk, I really like to hunt everything. Like I really appreciate like reef diving to mix up blue water diving and stuff. But over here, like because there's so many species, I – <laughs> I wouldn't really say that I ha- have any favorites. Like I, all the emperors are a challenge a lot of the time, especially the yellow lip emperors, um, uh, the buffalo emperors yeah. too. There's a lot of them here and some really big ones, but I sort of started leaving the bigger ones alone a little bit because they actually uh, carry sick. Oh, and, okay. Um, 
But um, the same with the Maui sea perch. Everyone loves to get trophy fish of those. And I've literally had like probably 12 or 14 kilo ones, uh, half a meter in front of my gun heaps of time and just watch them. <laughs> it's because like every every single one of them's like really bad for poison over here. So oh. I'm just um, watching a video on your Insta right now of you shooting a monster um, buffalo. Uh, it, it looks like it probably about a, I don't know, maybe a seven kilo fish, six or seven kilo. Is it that big? And then your dive buddy swimming at you as you service with it. Uh, yeah, the one fish? at the shop pulled that off. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that one was close to 10 kilo. Yeah. Holy moly. Think, you don't see the that nine, nine point something, but. Yeah, so um, That's a but special yeah, the, fish, man. Um, that, that, that's not true. an everyday fish. Right. To, to answer to answer your question though, um, probably my favourite fish to hunt are uh, uh, green job fish because of the challenge and because everyone's always different and there's quite a lot of them here. At yeah. certain times of year, you get some really big ones as well. Uh, I love hun- hunting dog tooth, obviously, but if you do a lot of hunting dog tooth, then it's really nice to have a change where you just go reef hunting for a day. So. I appreciate all the all the different fish because they give you a totally different uh, way to experience the ocean and, and to view other things, you know. Learn from the best. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com are written and presented by some of the world's best freedivers and most experienced instructors. Lessons learned come from years of freediving and teaching at the highest levels and are now condensed and available for everyone. Go to freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO and you get 20% off any course. Now there's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel, Hands-Free Equalization, there's Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization, even Bi-Finning Essentials. Get that finning technique right. It's the one percenters that make the difference in spearing and allow you to have more time on the bottom and you feel better even doing it. Go to freedivingfamily.com and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com. Killfish with precision and power Sending shafts from a stable platform with kill shot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American made dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any kill shot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nuba. That's $30 off American made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. It says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, Crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. Finding a buddy doesn't need to be such a struggle anymore. Use the Fishing Trips app to find a dive buddy today. Download the Fishing Trips app on Google Play or the iOS app store. Download it today, Fishing Trips app. Boom. Can you share with us the story of maybe one of your recent, um, like, like I'd love to hear a story of an awesome stalk where you've really sort of set up everything right and uh, maybe taking out a really nice reef fish like a jobfish or a buffalo imp? Uh, most, of, most of my uh, diving for reef fish and, like you say, stalks and things like that, most of it comes from every time that I start diving at a place, I start to, like, get a feel for what's happening on the day and how the fish are reacting and what's around. So, if, if I'm diving and I actually see like a fish that I really want to take, like a, a really good sized job fish or a big buff or something like that, I, um, I actually read how the fish is acting and, and how the behavior of it is. If I've 
been shooting some pelagic surgeon fish for market or something like that. And I, I usually always clean them and drop the guts and gills every time I shoot one, cut the knives off the tails. And that sort of usually starts to make a, a bit of a change in the environment and the way the fish are behaving. So if, if that's the case and I'm, I'm diving like that, then I'll usually let them get totally comfortable with me by totally ignoring them and keeping doing what I'm doing until they start coming into a workable range where I can either dust sand or hide myself or drag myself along the bottom. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of the best, as you say, stalks that I've, I've had over here have uh, been like spotting a good fish without any chum or anything like that in the water purposely dropping uh, behind a ledge or some sort of a structure that's going to hide me and then quietly pulling myself down and around the corners of the reefs and especially with large ice sea brim that works just scratch a little bit of dead coral on a rock or something like that until they do a pass pass and then you try and pick the fish that you want yeah um, that's that's uh, for, for me like hunting and uh getting all different types of fish and shooting personal best in things like it's a bit of a cherry on the the top of the cake but yeah uh, for me uh spearfishing is mostly about free diving like free diving and being in the ocean it's sort of an extension of how i grew up on norfolk like i grew up in the ocean uh norfolk doesn't have a lot to do unless you really like like being outside my yeah. dad's really into windsurfing and I've always been into surfing and bodyboarding and uh, my focus through all my younger years was with that. I just did a lot of travel around the world uh, just to bodyboard different places, Mexico and Hawaii and uh, or a bunch of other places. But once I really started getting into diving, it sort of overtook everything and um, Vanuatu doesn't really have surf, but that's all right with me because I've got pretty much more exploring than I'd ever be able to do for the rest of my life over here. Uh, there's no way that I even touch the surface of what what is actually available here. Yes, yeah, uh, that's awesome. So, with your boogie boarding and stuff, did did you seek sponsorship, or were you in competitions and stuff like that, or did you just purely do it off your own back? Uh, we we didn't really have uh, like proper organised competitions that much, or like integrated competitions with Australia or Norfolk, but. Yeah, I was really into it, and I thought it would, like, as most Groms do, I thought it would be cool to get sponsored, but I didn't really, like, I didn't really, I think, like, the same with spearfishing, a lot of Groms, they, like, think that that to really do well with spearfishing or to to have success with it, then you have to be good enough to get sponsored, but sponsorship sort of something that I think comes more naturally when you're doing something that you really love and you're doing it for the right reasons. And, um, for me with, uh, bodyboarding, I just love being in the ocean. I love getting barreled. I love surfing like really amazing waves in different places and having the whole experience. So it was something that I thought would be cool, but it never was really on the cards and I never really pushed for it too hard, but Mm. Um, when I started diving and really getting into it and making content and stuff, like I said, that sort of all just naturally flowed on and it happened without really trying for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was not something I was looking for, but I can say that since COVID for the last two years, uh, I don't know whether it was meant to be or how you look at these things, but 
Uh, there's no way that I would have been able to experience the things that I have over here in the last two years, and there's no way that it would have been possible for me to do it had it not been for the backing that I've had from Ruku and from Aim, right? Because I, I literally like. Like like you've seen, I really put a lot of focus on dog tooth, and mm. no matter how patient you are, and how how much you let go fish, and how much you like wait for the right shot, there's always so many variables with them, and they're just a type of fish that they're really hard on gear, and the sharks really really like them above every other fish, so. Mm. Without the backing that I've had from Ruku and Aimright, there's no way that I would have been able to have the gear to be able to do these things or even have the money to be able to put in the fuel to go to all these places. So yeah. I've been really, really blessed with that. One thing with uh, your vids, like you were kind of emphasizing that, like in your vid, you, you were saying, like, you love to use a float and float line for dog tooth because it's just can be crazy shooting them on a real gun. And yet I did notice that you shot quite a few with a real gun. I, I believe your biggest one was like 30 kilo taken on a, on a real gun. It's pretty hectic. Yeah, I think I've landed about three 30 kilo ones and a bunch of 25 to 28 kilo ones on the real gun now. But I, can, I try and be pretty clear in my content when I'm making my write-ups on Instagram and everything. And uh, with this last season's clip that I'll be putting on YouTube, Soon. I'm trying to keep the emphasis that it is definitely possible to land big dog tooth on a real gun, but it is not the right type of gear that you want to use. And the only reason that I keep getting in these situations is because when I'm diving uh, to, to shoot refish and pelagic surgeons and things like that to support us at the moment, I get a lot of good dog tooth in. And sometimes when I feel that I'm in the right environment with the right surroundings and like maybe sand drop offs rather than like nasty reef drops and uh, places where the shark pressure isn't strong. Yeah. And I get the opportunity that I feel is like good enough for a solid shot that's going to really hurt or kill the fish and give me the best chance of actually landing it. Then I will have a bit of a try. But in saying that, like the bigger fish that I've shot and landed, I've made really good shots on and I have had to work hard to get them. But uh, I have actually had things go wrong on smaller dog tooth, like 18, 20, 25 kilos. And um, yeah, it's just like, I mean, I always dive with a belt reel. I always, Whenever I'm in a place where there's a possibility of uh, dog tooth being around, I always check my gear before every dive. I check my reels. I check the lines sitting on them right. I check all my clips and everything are free. I make sure that there's no like cuts or anything in any of my gear so that I don't lose gear and waste fish. Yeah. Uh, this is like every drop. Before every drop, I always check everything. If I'm not sure about and I haven't checked things properly and uh, opportunity presents itself, I'll more often than not just let it go. But, I did see uh, that. It is, it is a bit of a challenge. So. I saw a number of like um, frames there where you clearly had an opportunity to shoot them and you, you passed up deliberately like like quite a few times. And uh, I was going to ask you like when you take people out to hunt them, like your mates and stuff that you've taken out, um, what are some common issues that they have hunting dog tooth and how do you – coach them through it? Pretty much everyone that hasn't had a lot of experience with dog tooth and that I've been diving with, I always start off by focusing on their free diving with them, like getting them relaxed, getting them calm. 
and I will take them into an environment where I know that the tide change is going to happen and I know that the fish are going to come in from a certain area or stay in a certain area. And I'll, I always start them off getting them to dive with the fish first and just have the fish around them without even having the thought of wanting to take a shot or trying to take a shot or anything like that. Okay. Also, uh, whenever they look at a fish that they think is the right size and they want to have a go at, if they think that it's close, I tell them to wait till it's like half the distance of what they think is close because pretty much hunting dog teeth is pretty similar to hitting, uh, hunting big yellow tail kingfish in that they really respond to the same body languages and the same uh, use of eye contact and, and things like that. So if you're diving really well with them and you're calm and you're enjoying the free diving and you're really taking it all in, then that that's really the way to get an opportunity and have it come to something because as soon as you rush, as soon as you try and push anything or make anything happen, then things go wrong or you lose fish and gear and it's, yeah, it's, it's more often than not, you're just going home with a not good feeling. <laughs> How many dog teeth do you need to um, shoot before you start to feel like, oh, hey, like I'm starting to get a handle on this? Well, for me, uh, moving here, I, I sort of dived with them a couple of times when we've been here on holidays and visiting family before in the past. But in the last three years when I started diving here, it's, re- it's been really, really hard for me to get local buddy, I get a local buddies that are consistent and reliable. And more often than not, I was getting everything ready with the boat at two or three in the morning and going to pick them up and they weren't at home or they'd been out drinking carver all night. <laughs> so so like, a lot of the time I was actually diving with uh, the uncle, the local uncle that drives the boat for me driving and I was diving by myself, which isn't, um, which isn't safe or good and it's not something that I would ever suggest anyone do. Most of the time when I'm by myself, I let go of the plans to go hunt dog tooth and I'll just go target reef fish. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But um, more recently, I've got some really good uh, local buddies who are keen and available more often and we've got a bit of a mutually beneficial arrangement happening. And so I, I've been teaching my buddies over here like more dive safety and doing some drills with them and stuff like that. And that's that's really been good because it's giving me the opportunity to – get out and hunt dog tooth more often but but a lot of the time when I've been diving with even some of the expat buddies and stuff here um, I've actually been in a situation where we have been buddy diving and then a lot of the time they sort of disappear right at the pivotal moment. Uh, One example probably is on that video you're watching from the previous season before last year. Mm. Um, The biggest fish that I shot I said it was well over 60 kilo in the video but we measured and we measured the shafts and the diameters of everything and it, the fish was probably more likely over 80 kilos, but I was just trying to be make sure that I was like calling it uh, like a lower amount. But that fish, my uh, South African expat buddy that was with me actually got caught in the tide and pushed around the point as I was diving on the fish and by the time I surfaced and started fighting it and yelling for him to come and poke the sharks, uh, he, he was not able to get back up current and I got the fish 
Oh, dead and almost to me and followed by a lot of sharks and one of the silver fringe whalers grabbed the tail and then that was it. That, that one was gone in probably less than a minute, oh, uh, 80, yeah. 80 kilos or more, or more of fish. So oh, yeah. that one still haunts me now and um, and I was really hoping to redeem myself this year but it's been really challenging financially and everything this year so I've been uh, having a little bit less opportunity and had some uh, circumstances sort of held me out in the peak of the season as well, but um, I still I still got some really good fish this year, and I'm I'm working hard to try and make this edit a little bit better than that last one. But no. on the last one, you were saying that you see a bit of footage of me leaving uh, dog tooth go. Um, there's actually when I'm talking about that in the video, and then I show the footage of that 80 kilo range fish. Um, I think where there's after that there's a section where I shoot the biggest one that I landed that year, which was a 50 kilo fish. I said it was 49 <laughs> kilos because I weighed it without the guts and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that one I spined it, and um, I, I think the previous three weeks before that I've been diving the islands in that area and those particular reefs and seeing so many big dog tooth. 50, 60, 80 kilo dog tooth and a lot of the time I had the real gun and I was letting them go. Sometimes with the big gun I was letting them go because I didn't have the right angle mm. and I was just like waiting and waiting and then that trip happened and that was in the morning. I've been diving for a few hours and the fish presented itself after I had shot a sandpaper, um, they call them sandpaper here, sorry, a pelagic surgeon fish okay. on the real gun. And uh, I saw it came come in, so I let the uh, surgeon fish down to about 18 or 20 meters, mm. uh, clipped my real gun onto my float and took my uh, big gun down. And uh, as it circled the fish, I got the right angle and I made a shot that spined it. And when I came up, I was like screaming a whole heap. I'm usually <laughs> a pretty quiet guy, I'm pretty <laughs> reserved and... I don't show a lot of emotion, but at the end of that video, you see I'm just like screaming because it was just like a huge release, you know, after so many weeks of letting so many big fish go and waiting for the right opportunity to have it all come together like that. It was probably one of the highest highs that I've, I've had from actually shooting a fish and and having everything come together just because of all the groundwork that led up to that moment. Yeah, and this is the thing, like, People don't understand when they just see someone holding up a fish on Instagram. They they don't understand all the other stuff that went into getting to that point. And it's like it's this weird way that we capture not just it's not just really about that photo with that fish. It's about everything that went into it. And so I understand at least on a level uh, what you're talking about. I would love to to be in a similar position that, to um, experience something like that. Uh, yeah, well, come over here. I'll definitely put you in front of some good fish. I'm coming. I'm coming. Uh, <laughs> you, you haven't done any hard sales here, and I'm, I'm on my way. Um, first opportunity, <laughs> I'm legit coming. It's. Uh, I think that might be a great place to to, uh, to pop my dog tooth cherry, so to speak. For sure. I've been uh, diving with some local friends and, as I said, some expat friends. And one of the my local friends, he had never shot a dog tooth. He, he, He'd lost. He actually shot one on the real gun and lost it. And um, I think we did two trips together. I focused on his free diving and making him really calm and making him not pull the trigger on everything until he had something really close and he could hit it in the head around the areas that I told him. And I think after two trips, he landed a 
fish in the 20 kilo range, which was pretty, pretty good. That's amazing. And one of my South African expat friends that's been diving for, I didn't even know, more than 20 years. He, I didn't even know how many dog toothies he had lost, but from jumping on some trips with him and seeing him lose them again and again, we worked on what it was that was happening with him and calming him down and getting him to make the right shots. And uh, over the last year, he's got a personal best of 30 kilos. And then I think three months ago, he beat that with a 43 kilo fish. So it's definitely, it's definitely doable. I'd say that probably, probably more than 90% of being successful on big dog teeth is, Patience, relaxation, enjoying the actual environment and the fish, and then when you're calm and when you're in the right mental space and everything, then taking a calculated shot. But I mean, even then, you're at the mercy of the environment and the sharks. Um, this this last month, I've been diving a different blue water spot where there's masses of big fish, and I I've actually used that I got to put on Instagram. I've been trying to figure out how to make the story and put the media on there because I probably got about an hour of footage of just having massive dog tooth swimming all around me really close and some some footage I have with the double roller, I've probably got fish about two metres in front of the end of the gun looking like one of my pectoral fin towards the opposite eye shots that I always make, but the sharks have been so, so aggressive and switched on from the first moment you get in lately wow. uh, it's either it's either kill them or there's no chance that you're getting them I, I've got some pretty exciting footage to put on with actually shooting some and stuff that's happened with sharks and stuff as well but I just got to figure out how I, I do it <laughs> is it is it learned behavior and is it like are there other people spearing the same fish in the same area and other sharks is it you know that Pavlovian response that we talk about where they've just started to get a lot of exposure because people talk about this in the coral sea and that and you know they don't actually get a lot of diving pressure out there and yet it seems almost sometimes like the sharks are trained yeah i i hear a lot of talk about these things and i try and like be unbiased when i'm witnessing things in the ocean and just try and like make my own interpretation of what's happening but for me in my experience i think that times of year and different times around different breeding cycles and uh, different uh, uh, of fish and sharks and things like that, they play the biggest roles as to how the shark's going to be. And especially in Vanuatu, like the biggest sharks that you see over here most of the time, apart from a very occasional tiger shark, are uh, the silver fringe whalers. Yeah. <laughs> They're a big shark. They love dog tooth. And if you really like dive with them a lot and especially around dog teeth, you learn really quick that all these breeding cycles and everything like that, they play a role in numbers and and everything like that that you'll have around the area. But the thing that really switches them on is exactly the same as what switches the dog tooth on. When the tide picks up and really strong and hits the, um, the sections of reef and starts making up welling current and all the bait and everything starts getting thick, the dog tooth feed, the sharks feed. When the tide's strong, it's really, really hard in these spots to land a good wahoo or a good dog tooth without a kill shot. But as soon as the tide goes slack, and if you know how to find those slack tide sections of half an hour to two or three hours, depending on the spot and the time of year, 
Mm. When there's no tide and the dog teeth are just chilling, the sharks are chilling too. And that is the most high percentage chance that you're going to have of being able to shoot a dog tooth without get it getting eaten, regardless of whether you kill it or not with the shot. The sharks really switch on when the tide's like really pumping. Mm. Yeah, well, you seem like you spend a lot of time just observing, like uh, paying attention to what's going on, time of year, seasons, like current seems to play massively into what you're talking about. Um, do you keep a log or have you, is it just anecdotal? Do you just remember? How do you keep track of this stuff? Uh, with with all the fish that I take and uh, with situations that don't work out, I keep uh, all my file, my video files uh, tagged with uh, times of year and uh, different moon phases and things like that so I can keep a bit of, of an idea of it. I On Norfolk Island, I was making a log all the time and it's something that I need to start doing here again, but... It just, I started doing it and just got really, really hard to find any consistency with it because, like I said, as the as the year moves uh, the moon around to different sections of the uh, where it passes over, it actually changes the tide here so much because you only need to have a five degree shift in the angle of the tide and it can hit like different deep water trenches and reef systems in different islands and it can totally change the directions of the tide or mm. sometimes you'll be diving on a full moon here and there won't be tide all day like no tide no fish and yeah. then you'll come to the mid moon phase and the tide will be pumping to the point where you can't even set up a float on the reef to try and dive from that and come back up near the boat anchored further behind you because the tide's just going so fast it's almost like oh it is unworkable really so mm. um yeah it's it's a, it's a whole other thing here. Living on Norfolk, a little tiny island in the middle of the ocean with no surrounding decent-sized land masses or anything like that, the tides are pre- pretty much predictable and on point all year. But over here, it's, uh, I don't know, I think you'd have to dive for 20 years and even then I think you'd <laughs> get situations where you'd just be left scratching your head. So you got you got a lot like a lot of seamounts and crazy volcanic structure and stuff as, as far as I'm aware over there. Is that kind of right? Like you've got these islands that are just coming out of like thousands of feet of water at times. <laughs> yeah, especially in uh, banks like up near Kokea Island, there's an island there called um, Motolava. That that island is crazy. It's just like the whole island is like the top of a volcano, and then underneath the water, it's just the bottom half of the volcano, a big volcanic stone drop off. And that that island, it's like you you can walk two meters from the bush on the volcanic rock, jump in the water, and you're in five hundred to a thousand meters of water. They they get marlin swimming right next to the rocks, like next to the island. Like it's. It's a pretty amazing place there. But, yeah, the same with a lot of the volcanic islands around here too. There's some pretty extreme drop-offs really yeah. close to the islands. And Norfolk Island's like that a lot too because it's a volcanic island. And yeah. most everywhere where you jump off the rocks there, you're in 15 metres of the shallowest straight off the rocks or to 30 metres in some spots. But here you're looking at 200-metre drops in a lot of places. <laughs> It's just crazy, man. It sounds unbelievable, and uh, and and just just beautiful, like a, a just so rich. If, if if a person is pondering coming over for a trip, um, how long do you think at a minimum they would need, and and then how long do you think would be optimal? If if it's at the right time of year for what it is they're wanting to experience, like with with my guided uh, tours and charters that 
I'm doing. I'm when I'm gonna when I start really putting out media and talking about it. I really want to make a big emphasis on like individualizing the the experience because I I'm I'm really wanting to take out like I've got some really good friends from Hawaii and Tasmania and in Australia that are just pretty much dedicated freedivers, but they will spear a little bit as well. But I, I really love to take out freedivers and I'm going to be taking some of them out when the planes ever open up um, because I'd love to just go to some of these places and just swim and drop and dive with the dog tooth and see the whale sharks and sailfish and everything else that passes through for the day without actually like taking any fish, maybe take a fish or two at the end of the day. But like there's so much to see here and you can be surprised by so many beautiful things. That's, that's part of what I want to do over here. But um, as far as like being successful, it, it's success is like the reason I'm talking about this success is really based on what it is that the person wants to experience and what they want to come away with. So mm. if someone wants to come and shoot a dog tooth over 30 kilos, that's a pretty good goal to have, but it's going to really be dependent on what time of year they come. Uh, it's definitely possible to do it uh, just coming here for a week. Two weeks would give you more chance to get the right weather windows to be able to go to the really good places. But even just a week, if the weather's not good, there's so many close islands here and there's so many fish at the right times of year that no matter what they're targeting, I pretty much even, as long as it's not a cyclone, I can pretty much get them to the closer islands and get them to be in the water with good-sized fish, 30 kilos or more. Yeah, uh, nice. with dog tooth and wahoo if if, uh, if we go and dive the backside of the islands where there's drop off mm. and it's, the water temperatures are cool enough then there's masses of wahoo here and the reef fish here uh, here all year so mm. it just depends on the individual and everyone that I've talked to that wants to come so far I've spent a lot of time going back and forth uh, through email or through social media messages just really getting a feel for what they like about diving and what it is they like enjoy and what they want to come away with from coming to Vanuatu and then I try and like tailor the time of year and what it is that they're going to do and how long they come for by that. Function first, pretty design second. Penetrator's dual-action water-channeling rail provides more efficient action and similar fins by directing more water flow down the blade. This eliminates wobble, meaning that you get way more bang for your buck, for your energy buck. Visit penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on every pair, on any pair. That's correct, my friend. Use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on any set of Penetrator blades at penetrator.com. In the world of freedive spearfishing, there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times. But there is a way to do it safer and smarter, take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there. Learn at noobspearer.com forward slash Ted with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. If you take down more fuel, you can stay for longer. Learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal. Ted breaks it down for you with a free online course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Take down 20 to 30% more air just by learning how to take a full breath. Again, learn how to do it free at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Shrek, my dude. 
You're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life, and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, noobers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our In the Face apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest Spearing Magazine. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Shrek, thanks. Love what you're doing. Jeremy out. You keep, you keep mentioning um, freediving. Um, some Spiros, like Pyrrhus, a lot of old-school guys, they don't connect freediving and they they actually prefer it if we disconnect or decouple freediving from spearfishing um some of them see spearfishing and freediving as two completely different things it sounds like you kind of have a different school of thought i'd love for you to explain what freediving is to you and how it benefits spearfishing yeah um i i see a lot of what you're talking about but the the two things are one like there's there's I mean, you have to free dive to spearfish, but I think what a lot of guys are talking about when they're talking about like what you're saying right now is they're talking about uh, free diving disciplines where you set up a float, you go somewhere where there's no tide and it's perfectly calm and you have, make goals, like maybe you do a warm up and you're hitting 15s and 20 meters and then at some point you're building yourself up to do good breathe, relaxed breathe ups and take a single drop to make a new goal or to experience a new depth or to <clears throat> experience your body and the effects of pressure at, at different depths and, and move forward that way. But when I talk about freediving, I'm not really talking about that. Like I have done a little bit of that on Norfolk with my friends as they were coming up, like if they were a bit newer to diving than me, um, when it was a time of year in winter or something where there's not a lot of fish and, we don't have a lot of time. A lot of the time we just run and climb down one of the cliffs and take a float and and a spear gun and just hook our real guns onto the float and just start off in 15 metres and then just slowly move out and keep dropping. And if we saw a good red-throat emperor or something like that and we, took, we did a drop with the real gun and took a fish for dinner, then that was just a bonus. But that's the only really like free dive specific uh, training that I've done and that was more to benefit uh, my friends and to get them into a space where they're diving safe and we were practicing some recoveries and things like that but for me when I talk about free diving I'm talking about going out there being in the environment and as you said like I like to observe a lot so a lot of the time uh, even if there's a lot of fish around I'll find myself dropping with the real gun or even with the bigger gun and <clears throat> not looking to shoot anything, but just feeling my body and feeling uh, how it is that my body's feeling at different depths uh, on that day and feeling how the fish are reacting to me and watching my mind and how busy it is. And when I'm on the surface, I'm relaxing and I'm trying to be conscious of my inhale and exhale yeah. all the time as much as I can. and it's that meditative practice of uh, free diving that for me, it's, it's everything because if you get into a flow with your breath and your free diving and everything like that, 
then the fish, they just flow to you, you know? Yeah, but if you go out there and you're like trying to make drops and you're trying to fight the tide and you're like pushing yourself to go 30 or 35 meters when your body's not really feeling it, then the fish, they're not going to feel you as well. So yeah. for me, every every trip, it's it's just as much about the free diving and the ability to get away from all the busyness of mainstream living and everything like that and uh, mainstream culture mm. and all the stresses that come with that. It's just a place where I can go and let go of that and check in with myself. Like um, I've been a yoga practitioner for probably about 20 years. And oh, yeah. through that, through that practice, I uh, started getting more into meditation as I started to understand more about what yoga is yeah. really about. And uh, I've done uh, quite a lot of meditation, and I've practiced uh, vipassana, uh, which is a which is a a pretty purist uh, style of uh, meditation that doesn't really have any uh, doctrines or anything like that. It's just okay. about self observation. And there's actually some places in all around the world, but in Sydney, there's a place in Blackheath where I was going and doing. 10-day courses there where you, you can go there once a year and sit for 10 days for 100 hours and uh, oh, yeah. that really, really uh, takes away a lot of the a lot of the misconceptions that you form for yourself through uh, popular culture and your upbringing and your family culture and friends and everything like that. You start to actually realize some things that are more true. So when... Mm. When I'm out there diving and when I'm talking about free diving, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the practice of actually like being present with yourself, being present within the environment. And if you're doing it all well, then it, everything sort of just feels like it's all one, you know, like you're, you're not really like in the environment, but you sort of just feel a part of it and connected with it. And that's when I feel like that's when things really like happen well, you know, fish come to you. You make the right decisions in in the moment, and and things work out that way. That's beautiful, man. What about the other side of it? What about when things are scary or um, dangerous shit happens? Um, have you had much experience with that? <laughs> well, Apart- I think everyone that dives, I think everyone that dives, they have different things that are wake up calls at different points in their lives, like. When I when I really first started diving, uh, spearfishing in the blue water and diving deeper, I was in a situation where I was the first person that ever on Norfolk dove blue water over there, and I was the only person that wanted to go and get in all the deep places and try and chase wahoo. So at that point, my dad was driving the boat for me all the time. Uh, we we built a, a smaller boat first, but at that point, we built a 16 foot center console boat, which was my main boat that I was diving out of. And he was pretty much all the time at that point driving the boat for me, and I was just diving by myself in all these places. And um, it wasn't safe, but I didn't really have a choice. I really liked diving, and no one else <laughs> wanted to come with me. And every now and then people would visit from Australia, and I'd take them out, and that was great. But I actually um, took out a film crew from New Zealand. from um, oh, Not the South Sea Steers. Matt, Matt Watson. Yeah, yeah, South Sea Spiros. Is that those guys? The Hunters Club? Uh, no, he's uh, he's a fisher, 
uh, I can't remember, don't know why I can't remember the name of the show right now. So he's a fisher mainly, but he also is sponsored by Bowshad and does a little bit of diving with, with that on his shows as well. But he uh, I, he was actually wanting to shoot a world record uh, white trevally. Okay. We have a lot of big ones on Norfolk. And um, so I took him to a spot and I put him on the fish and he, he shot he shot the fish that he wanted to get and then a bunch of big kingfish started moving through and I too decided to shoot a, a good sized trevally and um, and I was at a depth that I was comfortable with at the time. I think I was at 25 metres and I shot it and the fish didn't get hurt as bad as, bad as I wanted it to and it ran to a deep ledge at 30 metres and was looking at like having enough power to cut my line and everything and I made the mistake of deciding to grab the rig line and swim the fish out of the ledge before I started swimming up and I expended a lot of energy and then when I got to the surface I um, started to lose motor control and have a samba. Oh, At wow. that point it was very early on in my uh, diving in deeper water and I didn't actually even know what a samba was at that point. Wow. But um I had been watching a lot of uh, William Truebridge uh, and his free diving that he does. And actually just before this happened, I saw him and his coach after he'd done a 110-meter um, no weight, uh, constant weight oh, yeah. free dive with no fins, I think. Yeah. He came up and he started to have a slumber and his coach was saying to him, breathe, William, breathe, William. And when it happened to me, I actually like, that that was the first thing that came to my mind and I just kept telling myself to breathe mm. and uh, luckily I, um, I I mean I, I was conscious still mm. uh, but my motor control was going and I um, I said breathe, breathe, breathe and I was sort of like doing little short gasps and uh, I managed to calm myself down a little bit and just start taking a breath and then uh, every, all my motor control came back but that Crazy. was a huge wake-up call for me. And, like, if you want to talk about scary things, I think the reality of spearfishing and freediving, this is the thing that you have to be most conscious of. And this is the only thing for me that is really scary in the ocean because these situations, they, none of us are immune to these things. And no matter how much mm. you dive, like, every time you go out there, it's going to be different to what you've experienced, what you've had before, depending on what your physical health is, what your mental health is, what stresses you have and you're carrying with you, what your diving is going to be uh, different because of these factors. So after after this situation happened, I actually ordered the manual of freediving from Adreno and I read that and then uh, one of my friends from Australia moved over and we started doing drills and practices of uh, pretending to black out at 15 or 20 meters and sinking to the bottom and then yeah. practicing recoveries and, and all these types of things. And it's lucky that we did it because my friend, I think about two years after that, he, we were hunting Wahoo. He just had a really intense experience with a 22 foot white pointer that oh. had charged him three times before my uh, dad managed to get the boat there and uh, grabbed him out the water. Holy and he wow. was really, really shaken up by it, obviously, as you would be. We see whites quite a bit at winter over there. but uh, And I think that this this time, this actual year, we had about 15 encounters with whites in three months. And, Holy um, this, was, this was actually the first one where we'd ever had a big white actually aggress, though, because my friend was drifting past the deep water stone and, 
we were both drifting side by side, but we got split on the stone. He went one side of it and I went the other side. The side he went just happened to have this big white pointer just chilling just on the edge out of the current and right near the surface. And Ben didn't have anywhere else that he could go. And so the tide pushed him right over the top of it. And it, it startled the shark. The shark didn't see him and then he was right above it and the shark like did a big quick turn and went down and then did a 180 turn and came straight back up with its uh, with its uh, pectoral fins down. Oh, yeah. And um, he, he, held his, he held his little 110 real gun uh, straight at its nose as it swam up and he said that it stopped about a foot in front of his gun and then it turned around and went back down and did that after the third time. That's when my dad pulled the boat up beside him and Jack pulled him out. But... After that, I said to him, after that, I said to him, are you all right? Or, like, do you want to keep diving? And he was like, yeah, but just let's not be around this area anymore. Well, so we changed and went out to one of the further islands right at the back on another rock at the back there. And uh, we started diving for some crayfish first, just waiting for the tide change when the wahoo would come through. Mm. And then uh, straight away when the wahoo started coming through, um, we, we, were, we were buddy diving better because we've been doing all of our drills. I know that I always watched him better than he watched me, so I was always <laughs> very conscious of that as well. Yeah. But um, he had actually dived to 15 meters, which was an easy dive for him. He had had some wahoo pass too far out of range, and he, I watched him. He started to swim up, and then there was another group of wahoo that came through probably another 25 meters over to... Uh, the other side of him and he started doing an angle descent towards them to try and get over to them and under them and I watched him and just as I was watching him I actually had three wahoo pass right in front of me and one of them was like probably a meter in front of the end of my gun as I was floating on the surface all I had to do was breathe out a little bit and I could have shot it and I almost did and then I thought oh, I'd better just watch Ben and um so I let it go and turned around and watched him again. I saw him swim up. He reached out. He was about to pull the trigger. He was probably about eight meters under the surface still. And um, then he dropped his gun and I thought, oh, he's decided it's too far out of range. And then as he dropped his gun, he shot it. And I, I thought, well, that's, that's not right. There's something not right there. Yeah. So I started swimming towards him. And then by the time I got about, five or ten meters away from him he started blowing bubbles under the water and shaking and so I um, swam to him as quick as I could and pulled him up and pulled his mask off and blew in his face and told him to breathe and he came too but it just shows you like if I had shot that wahoo then that would have been my friend going you know that's bloody so, scary mate well done well done on having the self-discipline to pass up on the yeah, these, these are the things though, like after a situation like that or even the situation I talked about with myself, like they're big wake-up calls, you know, because the thing that I do after this happens is I'll start playing back every single time that we've been diving and we haven't been watching each other properly and, and you know, like it, it's just not worth it, you know. Um, my other friend that moved over from Australia, we were targeting Samson fish at 30 to 35 meters and making drops there. And because we're in this tide spot and because the spot's pretty gnarly where we were, we decided that we were going to one up one down properly. And and uh, he actually made a similar mistake to what I made at the start of my diving. And he shot a Samson fish. He headed for a ledge at 32 meters and he just he had the real gun and he decided to try and hold pressure on the fish before he started swimming up 
Yeah. And the same thing, he black he blacked out about five meters under the surface, and I pulled him up and did the same drill, and it was all right. With Ben, it was a little bit more scary because it's the first time that I've ever actually pulled someone up. I thought it was on autopilot a little bit more with Sean, but the same thing again. Like you want to talk about things that are scary with diving? It's these moments that there's nothing else that's really more scary to me in the ocean than these sort of things. And I, I feel like everyone's starting to hear more now about um, the dangers of free diving and, and like alone and, and not having a making good buddy diving and things. But when these situations happen with someone that you, that you care about or even just anyone, I'm sure, but it's just, it takes a long time for me to move past these things and, and when I try and write about it, I try and like put some emotion into it and try and like reach people somewhere that's going to actually grab them a little bit because yeah. this this is this is the this is the only thing that I really feel is that there's anything to not not fear, not to have fear about, but to really be aware of and not to take lightly. Mm. Sharks and all these other things. Sharks want to eat fish, you know. And as long as you respect them and you keep good eye contact with them all the time then I don't really find these situations scary. Like it's just something that you are in the moment and you make the decisions that you make depending on how you feel with sharks. But with, with blackouts, it's, it's an unknown, you know, like no matter how many times you've dived to a certain depth, if you're not diving good with a buddy, there's, there's no way that you can predict what's going to happen, you know, especially with so many variables that come with free diving and mm. spearfishing. 100%. So how do, how do you suggest people um, learn about how to look after their mates better? Do you, is I, it, I think that... Is it something you drill with, like, new dive buddies and just teach them or...? Uh, yeah, everyone that I dive with, I'll sort of... I don't know if you want to call it philosophy, but I'll just sort of tell them a bit about what I've learned and what works for me and um, I emphasise... I emphasize relaxation and enjoying the day and not like being goal focused and things like that at the very start of it. Yeah. I also emphasize like keeping an eye on each other and things like that. Unfortunately, I've, like I said, I've been diving a lot alone over here, but when that happens, I really make sure that I'm diving within the first 50% of my diving and I'm not going past that. Like if I'm diving with a buddy, then I'm making sure that, I hit the surface with 20% or more left from what I, I should have or what I'm feeling at that time. Like, yeah. uh, if you start to feel tired, if your legs feel heavy, if you feel tingly at all, any tingly sensation, if you start to feel nauseous, if you're getting really bad headaches after diving for nine or 10 hours or after however long it is, then you have to take breaks. You have to drink water. You have to eat some sort of a light snack or something that's going to give you some energy and you have to give yourself time to recover before you do any more diving because all of these things, they are warning signals and if you want to dive safe, it's not just about buddy diving and all these things. It's also about being honest with yourself. It's about not pushing yourself for a fish or anything like that. So for me, if I'm pushing anything, then things are going to go wrong. I'm not going to enjoy the day. I'm going to come home with conflicting feelings because I probably will have lost the fish because of, of this mindset. But yeah. if I'm out there really enjoying the ocean, observing everything, like having surprises by having a big whale shark come in or some manta rays that I swum and play with or turtles, 
that that is the thing that sets up a really good day for me. And usually when I'm in that space, everything else just comes to me. Like, oh. and that, that's the way that I dive. And when I take other people out, that's what I try and emphasize. Like, really enjoying the ocean, being like aware and like responsible and truthful enough with yourself that you are honest when when you're not feeling it or, or you're not feeling a hundred percent and, and talking about that with each other and, and, and adjusting the day's plan according to how that is. And obviously that's going to be different with everyone you go out with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had the benefit of being able to take out a lot of different people on Norfolk, uh, which I always just did for free and wouldn't let them pay anything because that was part of diving for me. And then I'd try and do things like make a fish fry for them before they went with the fish that we got on the last second last day or the last day or something like that and just like connecting with people and enjoying the ocean together and and talking about all these type of things but yeah yeah uh, yeah i don't i don't really know how other people go about it i know a lot of people like i talk to wayne judge a lot yeah he, he's probably one of the most um clued up and informative uh, guys that if ever and he's very open to helping people if, if ever you've got any questions about freediving if you just write him a message on Facebook he's always happy to talk about things and when he talks about like statistics and things and um, and anything to do with freediving and, and like the way the body processes different things he's on point every time and like he, he's helped me a lot with like really statistically figuring out what it is that's happening with all these types of situations. But mm. for me, it's actually the experience and, and learning through experience that has done it. And as for your earlier question with dog teeth, I don't know if there's a time limit that it takes to be able to figure out things with dog teeth. But for me being here three years, I totally dove on dog tooth by myself, not with anyone else who hunts dog tooth or anything like that. Even when I had local buddies and things with me, they weren't experienced in shooting any sort of decent-sized dog tooth. So I started off shooting smaller fish that were manageable on the real gun and on the blue water gear, learned where it is that I had to hit them to be effective and to have a result. And then I just like gradually started working my way up and into taking the big, uh, a go at the bigger fish once I understood the whole the whole way to be able to do it efficiently and um, from that video that you're talking about the targeting dog tooth video mm. I um, I would say that that year that well, that winter was probably uh, it was probably some of the best diving that I've ever done with learning about fish because I think almost every dog tooth that's on that video was every good sized dog tooth that I shot I think I lost <laughs> one at the start of that season um, from gear failure with a slip tip and then I lost the I lost a couple to sharks but I don't think <clears> I may uh, rushed or a bad shot on any and I didn't lose any but this year the sharks have been real like when the dog tooth have been in the spots with the big tide the sharks have been really challenging so this this last season this past year it's been like a, a, a real a lot of work to be able to get good sized fish into the boat equalizing problems can be something that derail you 
Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Frenzel and Advanced Frenzel video or the Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Are you following at Old Man Blue Dive on Instagram yet? Bert Calder, creator of the Old Man Blue Dive Gear, is an absolute legend. They are people that froth on the sparing life and intentionally make super hard wearing and practical gear that will stand the test of time. Visit oldmanblue.com.au and check out a bunch of tough, robust equipment made by people that are just as passionate about sparing as you are. Oldmanblue.com.au I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. What about funny stuff? You like having a laugh when you're out? Have you got some silly mates? (laughs) Yeah, it's always good to have a laugh. Like, I... um, like I said, most of my diving since COVID has been sort of a different type of juggling act because um, I've been having to target fish for sale to support us, which is a whole nother mental thing to be able to juggle and still trying to stay focused on just enjoying the experience without letting the thought of, oh, rent's due and I've got to make sure that I feel the esky like overshadow all of that. So. Yeah. There's been a little bit of seriousness with that, but whenever my any mates or anyone that I dive with come out and everyone's got different sense of humours, it's always good to have a laugh and keep things light. And I think that that sort of just flows on from what I was saying. Like, yeah. Um, it, it's it's just about enjoying the ocean and the experience, and and yeah, like having a laugh and and uh, being free and those those ways outside of the water that sort of just all flows on to making a really good vibe and memorable trips and yeah. lifelong friendships and all those type of things that flow from there but who's your funniest um, most you... of the time I'm, most of the time I'm pretty quiet and subdued with my emotions and my talk I don't really talk a lot yeah right even though I'm talking a lot now <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's good it's cathartic um who, who's one of your funniest mates and why have you got someone that likes to oh. play pranks or anything Name, like that? My mates are so contrast contrast each other so much, but I've got a, a good mate from Sydney who moved and lived with me on Norfolk for a lot of years, and he's got all sorts of inappropriate uh, Australian-based sarcasm and sense of humour, which I've learned to love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you don't have a choice for mates like that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny though when you really get to know someone. Like their yeah. sense of humor at the start might not really be your cup of tea, but yeah. as you really start to know who they are and where they come from, it just you know, you, like 
it's like that classic it's classic ben you know like yeah. i've got a bunch of mates like that one of my south african expat friends that i die with here is really silly all the time and he's got a whole heap of different stuff going on and then another mate in on the east coast of aussie maddie he's like more centered and spiritually based and quiet but yeah. his humor sort of comes from from a lot like a similar place to me like a, a love of the ocean and nature and all these type of things so yeah, they're all different types of humor but yeah i'm pretty open to things and yeah, cool. I'm not. I'm not really too worried about judging people or saying something's good or bad. So I usually get along with everyone pretty well. Yeah, cool. Couple more sections of the show, and then we'll wrap it up, Jamie. I've had an absolute blast today, mate. And um, I mean, people can follow you. You're on um, at Deeply Immersed on Instagram, and your YouTube channel is NF Islander. I'm guessing that's from you because you're a Norfolk Islander. And then, uh, yeah. and, and deeply immersed on Instagram. I'll link them up in today's uh, show notes. So it'll be at noobspirit.com forward slash Vanuatu. And then I'll, I'll also put this video in the targeting dog tooth um, video because I've I'm absolutely loving it. And I'm sure all your videos are sort of um, as good as this. But um, yeah, but um, yeah. Hey, what's in your dog bag? So I know you're sponsored by Ru- the Ruku Fins out in New Zealand and also Aim Right. What, uh, what, what gear? What 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 gear are these are you using? Uh, it really depends on where I'm going and what I'm planning on targeting. But pretty much every day that I go out on the boat, if I'm going to be targeting a mix of things or I'm going to a place where there's potentially going to be wahoo or dog tooth, I usually always take two real guns out. Yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take at least one spare shaft for the real gun. Um, and then I'll take a double roller. I got a one. I got a one three five double roller wow. um, from Aimright, which is which is pretty much anything blue water, um, anything and everything. So uh, I'll, I'll pair that gun with. Uh, I've got. I used the old, uh, the first version of the Seavine float lines. I think it must be like nine or ten years ago I bought I bought them and um, they're just I know that the rice float lines are amazing and they're really strong and purpose built for all these kind of fish but um, those sea vine float lines there I don't know if you're familiar with them but they're sea vine. Oh, they've got a phone like yeah sea vine okay. they got they make a PVC one now but the original ones they had was a foam filled line and it's actually like I think they're probably about 15 meters thick, um, 15 millimeters thick. Oh, yeah. So they're actually like quite, a, they're like a rope thickness line. And if you want to shoot decent sized yellowtail kingfish or dog teeth or anything that's got power and goes down, those lines are amazing because you, they just actually give you traction okay. to hold on to because the outer casing is like a, it's not a, it's not Dyneema, but it's like a, a woven braided uh, line like that that's a, that's around the foam filling, and yeah. like to be able to actually like hold pressure on a fish and swim it up without the line slipping in your hand. Those those lines are really great. I've also got a rice thirty meter bungee. I don't really use it that much over here. There's been some big yellowfin at the fads lately, so I'm hoping to go target them if the wind settles down over the next couple of weeks. But that's probably the only situation where I really use that bungee over here. I'm not like I use it for Wahoo all the time, but pretty much over here, it's just always 
I've got an ocean hunter uh, three atmosphere float, a rife atmosphere, uh, three atmosphere float uh, with a rife tagline that joins the two. I've got 35 meters of sea vine float line, and uh, that's pretty much my go to setup for blue water. And then, so you're running two smaller rolling wheel guns. So you're running um, a, a slip tip off your 135 double roller onto that. Seaborne, yeah, most of, most of the time I run a split tip setup, um, but I also have double floppers as well. But most of that comes down to uh, how well my gear is holding up with these big fish, how many shafts have been bent, and whether I've managed to have any uh, backup supply of them. Like Pretty much every time, I would say with the double rollers that Aim Rider are making in that size are 8.5, or a nine mil uh, threaded shaft with a slip tip yeah. is pretty much your my go to setup that I would have for any blue water hunting. Mm. But um, the hunt shaft that uh, Aimrite sell um, mm. with the double floppers, they're also really really good. It's just yeah. that they do bend and they're expensive too, <laughs> but, but but bloody good kit. Um, are you using um, some sort of clutch system as well? Uh, uh, you mean like the um, for for cinching up uh, the float yeah. line? Yeah, um, I'm not like with the yellowtail kingfish and stuff. I I always have extra long line clips on my float so that if I need to lock off the line or if I need to use it to help pull something up, yeah, then I can. Uh, on the blue water bungee, I've got one of the Neptonics clutch systems on it too because it's a long line and it stretches a lot. So yeah. it can be really helpful to have some way of locking it off as you as you win ground. But with dog tooth, like I said, like you have a very short window before sharks are going to take it. So your shot has to be good. And pretty much every dog tooth over 30 kilos to 50 kilos that I've shot, I have worked them by hand on the float line because you just don't have the time to mess around with clutches and clips and stuff most of the time because if you're mucking around with that and it's taking longer to get it up, then the sharks are going to beat you to the fish. So yeah, well, I, I usually let the floats do most of the work at the very start until they're both not getting pulled down. Then I'll, if there's only one down, I'll start working on that float to get to the line. And as soon as I get to the line, I'll just swim forward and up as hard as I can and try and get the fish to me as quick as I can and that's how I have the best success with dog tooth. Love it. Any other gear you wanted to mention before we move out to Spiro Q&A? Uh, not really. Most of most of my gears, I just wear Aimrite wetsuits and Ruku fins and use Aimrite guns and um, yeah, I, I keep my set up pretty basic. Like I, I like uh, Aimrite's philosophy of keeping things really overly engineered and uh, not too complicated. I like uh, I like roller guns now. I used to die with a King Venom with three rubbers uh, as a rail gun setup, which is a really amazing gun. But if you shoot Wahoo with that all day, your wrist's really sore by the end of it because <laughs> of the recoil. But yeah, yeah. with the double roller, you can shoot it all day and it's just like, it's just like shooting the single roller on the reef. So yeah, I really nice. moved in. I didn't think I would, but I really moved into rollers in a big way and trying to go back to using a rail gun now, it's really just hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it's a hard call to make. Cool. All right, let's yeah. go through Spiro Q&A. It's a faster-paced round of questions. Um, what would be your fish of a lifetime? Mm, I'd say probably at the moment the 50-kilo dog tooth would, would have been my fish of a lifetime, but um, – I haven't actually seen a marlin in the water yet. I'd love to see a marlin in the water, and if the opportunity and the fish presented itself well, I'd like to take a marlin at some point. Like, sure. I think if I saw a small marlin, I probably would let it go, but if I saw a really big marlin and it was the right opportunity, I had the right gear, then that would be a really amazing experience. And um, I've seen quite a lot of sailfish over here. I've had opportunities on them, and I have been mostly taken away by their beauty and lost too much time filming them and mucking around with them and before I realized I probably should have had a shot at them. <laughs> but um, but this year at one of my blue water spots, I actually saw three sailfish and two of them were just absolutely massive. And I, I, I'm really, next, next blue water season, I'm actually going to go on the tides that I know are good in those spots and actually try and take a decent sail and maybe have a look at uh, trying to get in the water with some marlin as well, but cool. uh, yellowfin tuna at home—they're really amazing too. So a, a fifty kilo plus yellowfin would definitely be another fish I'd be pretty excited and hold good memories of for a long time. Plenty more fish left in the tank by the sounds of it. Um, if you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? Um, I definitely would uh, read and research and talk to to people who have been diving for a long time more through reaching out on social media if it's not pers- it's not possible to do it in person mm. uh, at my earlier stages of diving so that I didn't have to learn everything that I've learned through experience. Like all my diving has been probably I'd say 95% experience-based. That means making mistakes and uh, and learning from those mistakes. So in a lot of ways, I've been really lucky to still be here today and to have learned what I've learned. But I'd say, like, even if some people, you reach out to them and they're not really into, like, talking or helping people. But I'd say, like, anyone who's learning, reach out to people. Like, if anyone ever wants to talk to me about free diving or spearfishing or anything, I'm always happy to try and make time to tell them anything and everything like if if some people tell you they're not really interested in talking to you or they're tired work just keep reaching out until you find people who want to talk to you and connect with you and help you with those sort of things um it's awesome jay yeah that, that would probably be one of the main things also um something with free diving that i don't think ever really gets mentioned too much but i feel like it's something really important is um sinus health uh, through yoga, it, it's like something that is really important there as well. But with freediving, like if you don't have healthy sinuses, then you can be you can go on a trip for a week and have half your week spoiled by not being able to equalize. Yeah. One thing in the manual of freediving that really helped me was they said even if you don't have the flu or a blocked nose or anything, you should blow your nose a minimum of twenty times in a day. Wow. And that's something that I have. I, that's something I've been doing since then. And now, even if I get the flu, I'll get a little bit of uh, a blocked nose, but it'll all blow out really quick and my sinuses stay really clear. So I can always equalize because yeah. I've actually had some blockages and stuff before in the past on Norfolk when I was doing some deep diving and damaged uh, uh, one of my eardrums. And so it's something that I really focus on. And so I'd say when you're learning to free dive, reach out to people and also 
look at your health outside of diving too uh, and try and keep your sinuses healthy and clear and try and eat food that um, doesn't make mucus. Love it. Um, I've got to get James Nestor back on the show. He's written a book called Breathe, and um, it's funny you should talk about this stuff, but my thinking is changing, and I've been thinking a lot more about it lately too because I think our airways are neglected areas of health, and yoga has very much been about pointing that out for years and years, so very interesting point. Last question, Jamie. I've had an absolute last chat with you. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? In one sentence? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I knew I was going to get a laugh. Uh, spearfishing and freediving is it's everything to me. It's life, you know. Like I, I'm almost I'm turning forty this year. Um, I've, like I said, done a lot of things in the ocean, but. Um, Right now, at this point in my life, like spearfishing resonates with me in every way, and uh, I wouldn't really call it a sport or a lifestyle. It's just it's just an extension of life where you have the ability to learn about yourself and experience life and the ocean in a real way. And I just love it. Like uh, I, I'm willing to live with less over here and. Of financial wealth and and all these type of things, just so that I can give myself the opportunity to try and experience the ocean and myself as much as I can. So as well as having time for family outside of that, that's about it. All I really aspire to do with my life. I love it, Jamie. Um, mate, your enthusiasm is contagious. You've got a lot of wisdom uh, with spearfishing, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Guys can connect with you um, at Deeply Immersed on uh, on Instagram, or you've got your uh, YouTube channel there, which is NF Islander. I'm going to have that up in today's show notes at noobspirit.com forward slash Vanuatu. But, um, Jamie, mate, if people want to reach out to you, is it okay if they reach out to you through Deeply Immersed on Instagram? Yeah, for sure. They can reach out there or they can just use my name, Jamie Rives, on Facebook. I've also got some uh, South Pacific Spearfishing, another page that um, is on Facebook. I get a lot of people messaging me through those platforms. So cool. feel free to reach out, have a chat, no problem. I'm always happy to talk about diving. I want to hear about your trips when, when you've got them up ready or we're open and, and, and doing business because uh, I think I'll be one of your first customers, so it'd be good. <laughs> Sounds good. I look forward to seeing you in person. Awesome. Well, good, Jamie. Thanks, mate. Okay, thanks so much. Dogtooth tune up for days. Tip stories of mayhem with Jamie Rives. The bloke delivered. Oh, far out. This guy, that guy, you can just tell he... He lives and breathes his spirit, and uh, what a cool dude. I really enjoyed today's interview. Hey, next week, it's the last interview of the month, but definitely not the least. It's Samuel Munford. Mumford. He's a frothing Cornish Spiro, mad muso, living in Australia. He's toured the West Coast, and uh, he's speared all over the place. He's a cool dude, and uh, we have some good laughs, actually. It's good banter. Good chat with old Samuel. So come back next week. If you're loving the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash noobspiro. Jump on there and join 50 other legends helping to power the podcast and keep this sucker going. And uh, hey, I hope you're frothing on the show, sharing it with your mates, doing all the good stuff on socials, engaging with the Noob Spiro on Facebook, Instagram, wherever the heck you connect and do the online thing. And uh, as usual, we love reviews. 
That's it for me. Come back next week. Samuel Mumford. Boom. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price beat guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%.